So this is God's word to us from Mark 16. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Father, help us since we're in this season of resurrection. The reality is every time we gather our whole Existence relies on this fact that Jesus is no longer in the tomb, that he has been raised. And we need to know what that means for us very practically and personally, not just from an eternal forever perspective, which we definitely want to see, but also for our today. So please, Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Guide us, we ask, as we talk through this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can be seated. So, as we listen to, to Mark's presentation, we said last week we're struck with this reality. The resurrection shocks the world to life. Resurrection, resurrection shocks the world to life. So what do we see that might also translate to us? And we started looking at this last week. We said there's a shocking encounter. There's a shocking message. And then there's a shocking grip. So last week we looked at those first two, this reality of a shocking encounter and a shocking message. And today we want to look at this third thing. So as we reach the end, we're going to drill in, like I said, just to verse eight. So focus in on verse eight here. Verse eight says this again, and they went out and they fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them or gripped them for they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. All right. Mark knows, as we talked about last week a little bit, Mark knows and the other gospel accounts account for the fact that they did eventually tell this story and Jesus did appear. But it is good for us to sit in and to absorb the shock of what they experienced, because I think we can benefit from experiencing that shock. It's good to sit in this. The encounter and the message gripped these first witnesses of the resurrection or you could say it seized them it, it was provoking some kind of a response so what do, what do we see what is what is the response well it, it woke them up to a new reality and it also kind of reframed and restored reality for them when you when you wake up to a new reality it can be very disorienting can't it have you ever had a super vivid dream and woken up. So we were over at Kinsey and uh, Christopher's house a couple of weeks ago and we're talking about all kind of cool stuff. And one of the questions that they asked was, do you ever get bored with each other, Fran and I? Do we ever get bored with each other? Which I don't know that anybody's ever asked me that question. It's such a good question. So I was, I was thinking about it. I was pondering it. And that night, 
I had a horrible dream that Fran found me boring and decided to leave me. <laughs> it was awful. It was awful. And so I woke up and I quickly realized it was a dream, right? It was very disorienting. And of course, the classic example now for waking up is, of course, what movie, right? The, the Matrix. Everybody, if you have not seen The Matrix, please, with Neo, right? Blue pill, red pill. And you tell, I can't remember which one, which is the one to wake you up. Red pill? Okay. Take the, take the red pill. And he wakes up completely disoriented. This is what happens. It's very disorienting. Reframing and restoring reality can be a disorienting experience. And it can create actually a lot of mess. It can actually create a lot of demolition and destruction of the old. Like if you, if you buy a house to restore it, usually there's a whole lot of mess. And it looks probably worse a few weeks into the restoration process than it does down the road, right? It requires this deconstruction before we can reconstruct the new, okay? This means being shocked by the life of Jesus's resurrection, because this is what we're relating it to. It's not fun. It's not always pretty. It's not always neat. It's not always clean. The message of resurrection and new life honestly has a way of tearing life apart before it can raise it up again. This is the Christian life. Welcome. This is what happens as it grips us, as it seizes us. So we're going to look at the grip of resurrection, what it, how it kind of happened to these first witnesses as they saw the empty tomb. And uh, how that might therefore relate to us in some ways. And in this, we want to look at three areas, just from verse 8. We see movement, we see uh, captivation, and we see contemplation. So when we, when we look at this, it says they, they went out and they fled from the tomb. So the last time that fled was used in Mark, this particular word was used in Mark, was back in chapter 14. So when the soldiers came to get Jesus, right? And it's, he's, Jesus says, look, day after day I was with you in the temple. I was teaching and you, you didn't seize me then. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And then it says, and they, being the people that were around him, all left him and fled. Same word. And it goes on. It says, a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and he fled away naked. <laughs> he fled. All right, I think there's something significant that Mark is doing here. Jesus' arrest set people in motion, didn't it? It absolutely set them in motion. Now the news of resurrection is setting people in motion again in a different way. Is, is Mark kind of drawing this comparison between fleeing from Jesus to fleeing to Jesus? There's something he's doing here, from what I can tell. Fleeing from Jesus to save our life, right? That's what they did before the crucifixion. They were running in order to save their life, or in this case, fleeing to Jesus who is alive and who is life. Fleeing the place of death, fleeing from the tomb to the one who is life. So as we realize the tomb, death, is not the end, we also realize there is a greater life to be known and encountered. Not to 
right, carry this image. So we want to be focused on what happened, like historically speaking, but that also has implications to us. So let's think about, and not again, not to take this image too far, but when we do encounter the resurrected message, we realize the life that leads to death, the life of self-preservation, self-promotion, what we call sin, this is empty. It's like an empty tomb. Why stay in the tomb when the door to a new world has been open? And the one who opened the door, who is life, is waiting for us in Galilee. Why, why remain in the empty tomb when, it all, when all it is is death? We all, we all tend to have our, our own tombs, right? I don't know what your particular tomb may be, our dark places where we go with hopes that maybe we stay there, we hang out there, and we keep going back to it because we think maybe there's life there. Maybe if we stay long enough, maybe we will find some kind of satisfaction. But the longer that we hang out in the tombs, the more we realize it's absolute emptiness and the more closed off we become to the world around us. The more death-like we become, the more twisted we actually become to ourselves and to the world around us, especially to those that are closest to us. The deep harm that we bring The more we hang out in the tomb, the more we start smelling like a rotten corpse and become that stench to the people that we're around. Where do you smell like a rotten corpse? What tombs are you hanging out in? You know, the perfect illustration of this is in the Lord of the Rings, Gollum, right? Precious. He he finds precious and he holds on to it. It's his focus. It's his tomb that creates him into, turns him into a monster, right? Where he he has to lie and deceive and he can't stand in the light of the sun or the moon, right? Or it's like the demonic tomb dweller. um, Mark talks about this back in Mark chapter 5, where Jesus goes to the guy who's demon-possessed in the what? He's in the the graveyard. It's death. The resurrected message, the resurrection message and the resurrected one can shock us and move us and set us free out of the realm of the dead, out of the tombs, out of the darkness, into the world to meet and to follow him in life. This is what the resurrection story is about. And as they moved, we hear, it says, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. So this fleeing, this movement, is a response to being gripped and driven by this deeper captivation. There's a captivation that's taking place for them. The the shock shook them to the very core of who they were, where where they seemed to physically be trembling. And they were filled with this astonishment or this amazement. And this this word that's used for astonishment... Um, it's used uh, only, from what I can tell, only one other time in Mark. And it's back again in Mark chapter 5. And there's a little girl that's dead. And Jesus goes to the house. Remember, this is a story where he says, oh, she's just sleeping. And they laugh at him. right? And he goes in and he says, uh, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up. She began walking. She was only 12 years old. And they were immediately overcome with, here's that same word, amazement. How did this happen? Amazement. What is more amazing than the dead rising? I mean, 
Seriously, what is more amazing than the dead rising? Life coming out of death in some way, shape, or form. Physically, obviously, that is absolutely shocking. But we also see it in so many other ways. I mean, think about where you've seen little pieces of life sprout out of death. I mean, even the image, I don't like I don't like my yard. I don't like maintaining. I don't like planting. But I think it's kind of a beautiful thing. You put a seed in the ground, and what has to happen? It has to die, and then it rises out with a new life, right? Think about that. You don't do anything to make that happen. That's actually kind of amazing. Death out of life. So these ladies ran from the tomb. They were shaking. They were amazed. Why? Well, for a very similar reason. Their world had been rocked. They were being asked to believe the unbelievable. That, that's what the messenger said. He's not here. He's risen. That's, that, you can't believe that. That's an unbelievable message. You can't believe that. They're being asked to believe the unbelievable. Someone who they had deeply loved, who they had thought was actually God's rescue for their people, right? Going to save them who failed, clearly failed, he's dead, he's no longer here. All of a sudden now they're being told he is alive, he's overcome the impossible. All they knew was being undone. All that they knew was being reframed. This life-altering message captivated them. It, It gripped them to the very core of who they were. So for us, what does it take for something to overwhelm you? What captivates you? Your affection, your attention, your focus, your life. What is it in your life that is that? To the the degree that you actually, or maybe emotionally, or some way, you tremble with astonishment. Does the resurrection of Jesus so captivate us that we experience this? Does it? I think I want more of that. I'm going to be honest, right? There are glimpses every now and then. It's like, oh my gosh. And then I drift back into my norm. I, I want more of this. But it's not something that you can force yourself or others to experience, is it? Can you make yourself be amazed? Do you know how to do that? I don't. If you figure that one out, please let me know. How do you make yourself be amazed? Nor can we beat ourselves up because we're not amazed. Or beat others up. It's like, aren't you excited about the resurrection? Like, I don't know. I don't know that I am. Oh, let me, let me hammer it harder. I mean, does that work for us? Because for, for most of us, this captivation, I think, happens actually in spurts. And it happens over time. And we are dependent on God to open us up to this. It's actually not something we can make for ourselves. The good news is the resurrection of Jesus and the life he offers is a reality in spite of me not being captivated by it. That's the good news. His resurrection had nothing to do with us being captivated. He wants us captivated because it is true. Our hope and actually the way that we grow to be captivated is by looking to the reality regardless of our emotions. It's like, I don't feel it. Okay, I get it. I get it. Keep looking. Keep coming back to the empty tomb. Think about it. And then seeing the emptiness of your own tomb. Are you sick and tired of your tomb that's killing you and your family? That's killing your neighbors? That's killing your kids? It's maybe corrupting the place where you're working. Are are we sick and tired of it? All right. 
seeing this, how, how does this happen? Well, it happens, but what happens next in the story? I think this really is a, a help. It's been a help to me. We know that these ladies eventually told the story with excitement, okay? I've got to keep saying that because the end of the story is not the end of the story that Mark gives. But Mark does end this little section, uh, or this book, or God preserves what we now have to force us to consider this extraordinarily important part of our response to resurrection. This is so vitally important, which is what? Okay, as they fled, having been seized with trembling and amazement, they did what? They went and proclaimed it to the world, right? Is that what it says? It's not what it says. It says, they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid, period. (laughs) The end. What, what, What is that? They didn't run into town. They didn't go tell the whole world. Mark says, they said nothing. And this is counter to everything else that had been going on as Mark's been telling the story of Jesus. Right, if you go back to the first chapter of Mark, you have this story of a leper being cleansed. And after it happens, Jesus says, hey, say nothing to anyone. All right, go, do the thing you're supposed to do. But this guy who he had cleansed went out and began to talk freely about it and spread the news. Right? He couldn't keep his mouth shut. But here... Jesus has been raised and they say nothing. Mark seems to be focusing on this immediate aftershock. And I think he wants us to, to walk with him and to sit with, sit with him as he's describing this, is what, the, what these women experience. How are you supposed to respond in this situation? How are you going to respond? I don't know that there is a supposed to. I'm not sure. There is just an is. Like, there is a response that they had. They were so gripped, they were so seized that they did not know what to do. They did not or they could not even talk about it in the moment. That's what we see. This is actually what Jesus' resurrection can do to you and me. It can set us free in such a way that you may at times be uncertain what to do. You may not know what to say. Other than knowing you want, you, you, you don't know where to go. Where do I go? Except you want to go to him Like, that's the one thing. It's like the one thing. I don't really know where to go. All I know is I want to go to him wherever he is. What do we take away from these ladies leaving and saying nothing to anyone for fear had gripped them? This seems like the opposite of what you're supposed to be, right? How many times does the Bible say, don't be afraid? Or things like, uh, perfect love, cast out fear. Right? That's that's true. The Bible says that. It seems there was a fear that was also this, what what you could call a reflective awe. I mean, I'm not saying there wasn't like legit fear, but it's this reflective awe. And they were trying, what is this? They're trying to make sense of all this. That fear was part of trying to make sense of all of this. And so for this moment, they said nothing. Again, this is not the end. Yes, in moving out, being captivated eventually with your life and with your lips, you're going to tell the story. All right, okay, that is going to happen. But let's sit for a moment. This is an important piece as well, which is what? Be quiet and take it in. That's what they did. Being shocked by Jesus' resurrection does move and captivate us and excite us, but it also grips us in a way that requires contemplation. To sit or to walk or to be still or to move while taking it in. 
Even facing the fears is part of being gripped. It doesn't alleviate all the fears. It exposes the fear, and now you've got to take it in, and you've got to sit with it. Contemplation or meditation is another word that you could use for this. Is part of the response to the good news. What would have been going on in their minds? Think about the ladies as they're walking away, and they're, they end up, they're not saying anything for this little period of time. What's going on in their minds? What are they thinking about? Well, they're probably rehearsing the day, probably rehearsing the last few days, probably rehearsing the last few years, right? I mean, I'm just sure that the film is just running in their head, all these things that they have seen and heard and experienced. And I'm sure they're, with that, they're also considering, what, what does all this mean? Like, we just experienced this, what does it mean? Jesus, I mean, Jesus was rejected and he was killed. All hope was lost. There's no hope. Saturday? Friday night, there's no hope. Hope is abandoned. But now, if he's actually come back to life, he's been vindicated as God's king. If he's actually come back to life, all that you thought had been lost was not actually lost. His death was a tragedy, unquestionably, but it wasn't just a tragedy. It was also an essential part of the very plan that he was executing of God. It was actually, it was also glory. It was all about what? Restoration of people to God and wholeness to people. This is what Jesus' life had been all about. And this he absorbed into himself to fulfill this mission of restoring humanity to God and wholeness to humanity. His resurrection shows that he is the truest life. He is the truest truth. He's the truest way. And I can imagine they were... They were starting to consider how all their Hebrew scriptures, right? The scriptures that have been telling them about God and who God is and what God is going to do and rescuing people. I I can imagine they were thinking about how that was all preparing the way and how Jesus was the shocking answer of God making the world right. Like to what degree did they get that? I don't know. They unpack that as time goes on. But that's part of meditation. That's part of contemplation. How is it being fulfilled in Jesus that God is making all things new and all things right? Being shocked by the resurrection of Jesus, it does these things to us. It moves us away from death to life. We can leave the tomb. It captures us deeply and wholly. And it will involve a forever meditation and captivation and contemplation thinking through the meaning and the implications of this, of this resurrection. This is what we have to keep doing with one another. But also, and here's the challenge of just being quiet and letting the implications grip us. Maybe stop trying so hard to grip it. The gospel message is not what you have done for God. The gospel message is what he's done for you in Jesus. Let that grip you. Let the resurrection, the resurrected king by his spirit grip you and shock you and maybe frighten the death out of you. Where he also comforts. Let him lead you from the tomb into life. Father, 
The, the reality of resurrection is something maybe some of us are even struggling to believe from a historic perspective. Is it true? One, help us, help us to, to see that it is, but also to move beyond that, to see the implications of the resurrection. That you, Lord Jesus, have suffered and died and been raised in order to raise a new humanity to a new kind of life to a new kind of world that will forever be, but begins right now. So those areas of our life where we are stuck in the tomb, please show us that the door has been open and invite us into life. And please, Lord Jesus, we are so dependent on you to grip us. We cannot save ourselves. Please rescue us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.